stop, look, and listen. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of the last Sunday of Epiphany, February 27th, 2022, from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The story of the Transfiguration brings the season of Epiphany to a close. As with the baptism of Jesus at the beginning of Epiphany, a voice from heaven is the highlight of the Transfiguration passage. The voice of God connects the life and ministry of Jesus with the entire Hebrew Bible and commands Jesus' disciples to listen to him in a biblical context. Before Rev. David Pelegi gives his sermon, we begin with prayer and the lectionary readings. Almighty and everlasting God, increase in us your gift of faith that forsaking what lies behind and reaching out to that which is before, we may run the way of your commandments and win the crown of everlasting joy through Jesus our Lord. Amen. We'll continue the worship of the Lord through the reading of Scripture. The first reading is Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord, called, the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your bed, belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. 
With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve, because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 2. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were darkened. For this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yet to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, un underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to temper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we will command ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 28. Please stand as we are in the presence of the king. The good news according to Luke. About eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. 
Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. The next day, when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions, so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the impure spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come as your needy children. And Lord, we not only need your presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, but Lord, we do need to hear your voice, to be guided and molded and directed and taught by your Son, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that uh, as we look at these passages, indeed, we will be sensitive to that voice. And we pray, Lord, that uh, we'll be obedient to that voice. And by doing so, we'll come into life and blessing. And we ask this so that your Son may be glorified in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. So just like to um, say a few words about the, well, maybe all three passages, but um, in particular the gospel passage in our tradition or in the way that uh, we often do things, the story of the transfiguration comes up twice a year. And so it's quite challenging uh, for preachers. You know, what new angle can you bring to this story? But um, I think as we've said before, yes, yeah, some new angle, some new insight isn't usually what we need. Oftentimes as a community, we forget those old basic truths and need to be reminded of them over and over again. So I always tell folks that I just simply get paid for reminding people things that we pretty much know, yet in our human condition, uh, we are incredibly forgetful, are we not? 
And so the the transfigure the story of the transfiguration is um, one that is um, extremely critical. It appears in all three Gospels, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, is hinted at in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, in the prologue when the author says, we beheld his glory. But what's interesting uh, about the, the synoptic tradition is that uh, the story as recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is pretty much the same story. Uh, the details, or the, you might say the perspective, doesn't change uh, very much. Uh, and it certainly uh, was something that was uh, very critical, at least in the understanding of the early church, and I think, it should be, I think it should be critical for us. I think the first thing that we should consider is where does this take place? And I'm not thinking of geography. Yes, I know it's nice when you come on a tour to try to uh, pinpoint the, the mountain of the transfiguration, but uh, that's not, at least in this case, geography isn't uh, so important. I think what's important is chronology. Where does it take place in the ministry of Jesus? Uh, and as we see that um, Jesus, when he moves from Nazareth to Capernaum, and he begins a public teaching ministry. And that teaching ministry, um, you might say, intensifies with the, with the miracles that he does, with the, uh, the, the exorcism, and um, more. And there's a place, or not, maybe it's not such a place, but we, I, th I think we all can feel or see or sense, maybe the best word, that uh, Jesus is becoming more and more popular. Uh, and the crowds are following him, and people are coming to him wanting healing, teaching, uh, guidance, direction, exorcism. And in John chapter 6, we have a, a little almost a throwaway line where it says that people in Capernaum well, people came to Capernaum wanting to make him king. And it's somewhere in that popularity, yes, as Jesus achieves more and more and more notoriety, you know, that he launches his Facebook page, that he gets a publicity agent, he goes on tour, you find him on Spotify, even though he doesn't get many royalties on Spotify. Now, Jesus does none of that. What's really fascinating and even challenging is that Jesus says to his disciples, okay, pack your bags, we're going on a trip. And he takes them to the north. And he takes them to an area that's not Jewish. And uh, there's nobody there with the exception of one woman, this Syrophoenician woman. No one <clears throat> comes to him and demands teaching no one demands healing. No one is demanding uh, his time or his attention. And you might say he's on retreat. And it's at that moment or somewhere uh, 
in the area of Caesarea Philippi. It doesn't ever say he goes into the city of Caesarea Philippi. In fact, Jesus, as far as we know, never went into any Gentile city, right? Being an observant or being a faithful Torah observant Jew, I don't think he would have done such a thing. But in the area of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the big question, who do people say that I am? And finally, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we don't have the full story in Luke, but Matthew and Mark preserves uh, something quite critical for us. And that is Peter indeed comes up with the right answer. Yes, you're the Messiah of God. And uh, Jesus commends Peter and tells him that this comes, this is a revelation of God himself. And then Jesus immediately, for the first time, begins to speak about his death. And he begins to speak about his suffering, that the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man doesn't have a choice. He must go to Jerusalem. Must. And Peter, of course, as we know, says, wait a minute. No, no, no. Listen to me, Jesus. I'm hot. I've got the revelation. You know, I love you, and I have a beautiful plan for your life. Yes. We're going to Jerusalem, and we're going to take over the place. We're going to have the Jesus administration. You're going to be the president. I'm going to be, what is Peter going to The vice president, baby. And Andrew will be secretary of the Navy. And uh, Judas will be the uh, head of the Federal Reserve. <laughs> I knew Americans would love that. <laughs> Only an American can fully understand the depth of that comment. <laughs> and so on. And Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. Jesus rejects that voice, that voice of Peter. And then all the gospel accounts tell us that six days later, at least Luke tells us eight days later, Jesus goes up to a high mountain and the transfiguration takes place. So what is it that we take from this transfiguration, thinking about it in its context, and I always want us first and foremost to think just a minute about Jesus. And we can think about maybe the bigger, the bigger message. But for Jesus himself, who is one time human and also divine, you know, he surely must have thought, now wait a minute, God has revealed this to me. I understand it even through the scriptures. Um, but this doesn't make sense. And even if it makes sense, isn't there a plan B? Isn't there a shortcut? Isn't there an easy way out of this? Yes, to suffer a horrific, horrific death, you know, through crucifixion. So Jesus himself... I believe, and please don't throw your Bible at me, needed reassurance that indeed he understood and heard God's plan. Yes, that he would not end up rotting in the grave. But secondly, and perhaps equally, maybe may more important, 
The transfiguration, yes, happens for the disciples. And that transfiguration occurred not just for them, uh, but certainly for us. And what's, there's lots of layers here. As we could speak about um, the way in which the transformation is understood to have a connection to Moses. That's a traditional way. Um, you may remember that Moses goes up to a mountain. He takes three of his friends. Mo Mo the face of Moses is um, a cloud envelops the mountain. Mo the face of Moses is transformed. Moses comes down the mountain, and Moses finds the people of Israel being unfaithful and worshiping the golden calf. Yes, and many of these elements are here. Um, Jesus goes up with three, three of his closest disciples. Uh, there is a cloud, a voice. Jesus is not just his face, but his entire body is transformed, right? Uh, Jesus comes down the mountain, and he doesn't find the people of Israel being unfaithful. He finds his disciples lacking faith. Yes, I can't cast out a demon. So all of these things surely point to a big message or, some, or point to, to a big, um, you might say, a bigger story. And that bigger story is that Jesus for the Jewish people and for us, was and is greater than Moses. Because that was the expectation of Jewish people. Yes, that the Messiah had to be like Moses or even greater. And at every turn, the New Testament, in, even in, perhaps in a Jewish way, is hinting at, yes, telling us that Jesus, yes, was greater than Moses. And of course, you have Moses and Elijah. They're on the mountain. I, have, I doubt it has anything to do with Moses representing the law and Jesus representing the, Jesus represent, I'm sorry, Elijah representing the prophets, right? But uh, don't forget that both Moses and Elijah, um, at least as understood by Jews in the first century, were thought not to have died and remained alive in heaven, that both Moses and Elijah encountered God at Sinai, yes, in, in a very miraculous, transforming way, that both Moses and Elijah were rejected and suffered, yes, because, because of their obedience and doing what God asked them to do. And so there's that understanding as well. But what I think is most critical for us today is the voice, that voice that speaks from heaven. And God, of course, was not only speaking through the transformation and speaking through the presence of Moses and speaking through the presence of Elijah, but there is an audible voice, which was very common in the Second Temple period or the first century, because Jews sometimes understood that the way that God would speak would, would, uh, be, would speak audibly from heaven. And so, of course, in the New Testament, there's no problem with this. 
in the, in the life of Paul or the life of Jesus. And so that voice, the voice comes from heaven, and it's the voice of God. And uh, the voice, the way the voice speaks of the disciples is, in a, I think, in a very powerful way and in a way that uses an authority that cannot be misunderstood. So today, when we think of the voice of God speaking, we think of, oh, I think the Lord told me to go to the 7-Eleven, you know, and to buy some ice cream. Or I think the Lord, you know, wants me to do this or to do that. And that's, there's some legitimacy to that. But notice how God speaks. God speaks in a way in which he uses, yes, Scripture. So just like he did at the baptism. And the voice says, you know, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And uh, each one of those little phrases, as many of us know, come from a different part of the Hebrew Bible. When Jesus was alive, the Jewish people then and to this day, yes, break the Bible into three different sections. And uh, they organize the Bible, not chronologically, but according to the genre, according to the type of books. And so you have the Torah, which or the, the guidance and instruction, which is the first five books. You have the prophets, yes, which is Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Micah. And you have the writings. And those would include the Proverbs and the Psalms and, and First and Second Kings, so on. Yes, those are the three parts of Scripture. And the Jews to this day call, it, call that, they have an acronym, it's called the Tanakh. And so here is God speaking to the disciples, not to Jesus, because at the baptism, God speaks to Jesus and he says, you are my son and whom I'm well and, and uh, whom I'm well pleased. But this voice repeats some of that. Yes, you are my son comes from the book of Isaiah 42. So something from the prophets. Yes. Or sorry, this is my son comes from Psalm 2 right, from the writings, uh, whom I have chosen comes from Isaiah. So we have the writings, the prophets, and then listen to him, which comes to us from the book of Deuteronomy, from the words of Moses. And so what has God done for those disciples? And hopefully for us today, if we listen, that he's confirming, yes, affirming the ministry of his son, Jesus himself, and the mission to go to Jerusalem, which will bring suffering and death, but eventually bring resurrection and glory. He's using every portion of scripture, yes, to send that, drive that message home. And at the book of, at the end of the book of Luke, uh, quite interesting, when Jesus appears in the upper room, he begins to teach his disciples from the scriptures, and he said, uh, I'm reading from 2444 of Luke's gospel. 
This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. He told them this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. You are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So I think all of those things are truly relevant for us. Yes, and helping us to understand Jesus and the ministry. But I think what's even most essential is that voice, that voice that God speaks on the mountain. And hopefully that voice still speaks to us today, especially those um, last three words which come from the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to him. Yes, listen to him. Yes, it's not enough that Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the savior of the world or the light of the world or the living water or he is the son of God. I mean, all of those things are essential. Yes, but what's equally essential is that we listen to him. And the more I thought about this, what seemed to occur to me was just how important the whole metaphor, yes, or the whole commandment, not metaphor, but commandment, is in the scripture to listen, to listen. Now, we all think of the story of how the human race got into the mess that we're in because Eve ate the apple, yes, or, or I think it was a guava. Surely it was guava. Okay, or a mango. Eve ate something. But what, what, does, what did the Lord say to Adam, who, by the way, was held responsible for all of this? Don't go blaming the woman. Because Eve was deceived. Adam was standing next to her, as we read in the text. Adam said, because you listened to your wife, because you listened, and of course Eve listened to the serpent, yes, because you listened to the wrong voice, yes, the human race is now in a huge mess, and it needs rescue, and of course that rescue package, you might say, or that rescue program is found first in Abraham, then the tabernacle, the temple, and ultimately in Jesus, the Messiah. If you listen. So listening uh, all through the Hebrew Bible becomes essential. And uh, you can pick up, pick up the Bible. Any, uh, I just, here's a verse. But there literally, there might be a hundred of them. And the verse goes, well, Eric Prince used to love this verse. It says, then the Lord made a decree, okay, for them. He tested them, okay. This is that, um, as we referred to in the psalm today, 
Psalm 95, Meribah. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in, your, in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases. Yes, I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your God who heals you. If you listen carefully and open the book of Proverbs and put your finger anywhere, and what is the commandment over and over again? Listen, listen, listen. Yes, and that commandment to listen, yes, was valid for those disciples on that mountain, and it's still essential for us today. You know, isn't it interesting the way Jesus so often, so often challenges, yes, his audience or those crowds that are following him? What, is his, what does he say? If you have ears to hear, if you have ears to hear, can we listen? Can we listen? And we sometimes think, oh, I'm walking by, I'm walking by faith. I'm not walking by sight. We use that over and over again, even though Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, yes, we see, yes, in, in a dim mirror. But actually, we should change our language a little bit and even change some of our hymns to say that I am walking by listening. Yes, I'm going to walk by listening. And it's in the listening, yes, it's in the listening where f that results in faith. What does Romans 10 say? Faith comes by hearing, but hearing what? The word of Christ, the word of Jesus. Faith comes by hearing. And the passage that we read, the beautiful passage from, from 2 Corinthians, tells us if we contemplate, yes, if we focus, yes, on the Lord and focus on his glory, yes, that that encounter can even transform us. But we actually need to read the verses above, and uh, this can be a little bit controversial to, to say in Jerusalem, and we need to be very careful because uh, some of these verses have been used to uh, beat up on the Jewish people and has resulted in anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism, and there, thus there's been a very tragic history. Uh, and that's we can't discuss that now, but when Paul, yes, uh, in the middle of Chapter 3, he's, he's talking um, about Moses. He's talking about Moses coming down from the mountain and the glory that Moses had uh, faded. And then he goes on to tell us, you know, um, the ministry of Jesus is, uh, is certainly a lot more glorious for what was glorious has no glory. Now in comparison, Moses with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which is last? Talking about the glory given, that's given to Jesus. 
Then he goes on to say, talking about Jewish people, he said, when they hear the scripture, they don't hear. They don't hear. Yes. And it's when we don't hear, it's when we don't hear, then the result is we will miss seeing the glory of God. We'll miss seeing Jesus who he really is. Now, in the, midst, in the middle of all this, what does it mean to hear? What does it mean to hear? Because on one hand, if we think in terms of our Western culture, hearing is kind of neutral and even passive. Hearing just means to stop talking, right? Yes, or listening means to stop talking. But I don't, obviously that's not what it means in the scripture. Listening has this understanding is that we pay attention, careful attention to God's voice. Because we all know that we can stop talking and we can be distracted. Or we can stop talking and say we're listening to someone and be impatient. Or we can stop talking and have all kinds of presuppositions and have our mind made up. But that's not the sense that we have in Scripture. In fact, what it means to listen to the Lord is Shema. That's the Hebrew. Shema isn't like, okay, here are some options. You may want to consider this. Shema means listen up and obey. Shema means now hear this. Now hear this. Yes, Shema is, there's nothing neutral about Shema. Shema is this idea of hear, hear and obey. Hear and obey. And that's what God is commanding on the mountain. He's commanding us to listen. And that listening, yes, that listening isn't just telling us who Jesus is. That's important. We're not uh, in favor of false teaching or bad teaching. Yes. But that listening, that listening is a way of reminding us and encouraging us and uh, affirming us, yes, and giving us the courage to continue in the way of the cross. Because just a few lines before this incident, Jesus says, you know, if you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me daily. Oh, wait a minute. No, that doesn't make sense. No, my, my culture is telling me, you know, I should be healthy and happy and wealthy. Or I'm listening to another voice. Yes. And why is it important to listen? Because there's so many voices that are speaking to us. And many of these voices are false voices. Just like this, in the story of Adam and Eve. First there is the serpent, and then there is Eve, and then there is Adam. They all fall prey to a false voice. Uh, and Israel was constantly being tempted, yes, by false prophets and false religion. 
or we're constantly, Israel and our community today, we're constantly being tempted by doing things that we think make sense or things that uh, seem natural to us, which may end up being the way of death. So when, when God speaks on that mountain and says, listen, listen to him, yes, it's, it's a commandment for us. It's a guidance and instruction for us. And we need to cut through all the other voices or we need to make sure that we are rejecting the, all, all the other voices so that we hear the voice of Jesus himself. And that's not always easy, yes, because the devil comes and speaks to us and tempts us, and the culture speaks to us. I don't know if you have, you, when you, because we're so surrounded by stuff, you now when you hear a song on the radio, or you see an advert that says you can't be happy unless you use a certain kind of soap. Most of us just passively do nothing. But when we encounter falsehood, we should at least say to ourselves and maybe to some others, that's a lie. I don't believe that. Or that's a lie. We reject that. Surely something we should say to our kids. We don't go along with that. It's an example of a falsehood, and we're not going to live by lies. Yes, but other, oftentimes we just so we passively take this in, or we passively listen to the brokenness of our own hearts. That will tell you, you're no good. You'll never be a success as a Christian. Don't be a sucker. Follow Jesus. Don't be someone who gives lovingly or gives of yourself. You know. Look after number one. Yes. And so the challenge is, and we'll continue this next week a little bit. The challenge is, how do we hear that voice? And I think there are at least two hints uh, from our passage. It says when we started, it said that Jesus was praying. Now, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is always praying. Prays before he chooses the disciples. He's praying in the garden. He's praying at other times, and here he's praying, but he's praying with Peter, James, and John. And so, I know this sounds obvious, but remember, I'm just here to remind you of what we already know. Yes, prayer. Prayer. But not prayer that says, "Here, God, here's my laundry list. Here are ten things I really need from you. I'm sending it up in the next 90 seconds. And uh, I'm really busy. I've got to go off. Yeah, and please answer. Yeah. All prayer has to be listening prayer. We need to listen. We need to have the discipline of sitting and listening to God speak to us as we pray, as we speak to him. And that's why it's sometimes helpful to have a notebook to write, to write these things down. So if we don't practice listening prayer, and we're too busy only to send a few, send up a few petitions. I'm not sure we'll hear that voice. Uh, and we'll hear lots of other voices and be confused. Okay. And very likely we'll slip into one kind of error or heresy or a sinful way of living. 
Yes, and then we'll hear a voice that will justify the sin for us. And secondly, Bible reading. Yes, how is God speaking? God is speaking through the Scripture to these disciples. Yes, he's not speaking only through one verse. We sometimes think, oh, the Lord spoke to me through this verse. can be okay. Yeah, but the message of Jesus didn't contradict the whole counsel of Scripture. And so the Lord can and should speak to us through Scripture. But it, how do we read Scripture? We have to read it again in a, in a kind of a prayerful way. We open a text. We ask the Lord, Lord, show me what is in this text. We read it. We chew on it. We meditate on it. We close the book and go through our day and think about the verse that we read, right? So it becomes virtually a process of worship. And again, oh, I'm supposed to read the Bible twice a week because I'm a disciple. Uh Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You know, think of all the social media and all the images and all the messages that we get all day long. We come to church, sometimes we come to church once a week. We have an occasional Christian moment or two or spiritual moment or two. And we wonder why discipleship is failing. Yes, because our minds aren't conformed. We're simply being torn apart, yeah, especially by the culture in which we live, of which... It's not all bad, it's not all wicked, but a good part of it is. And it's it's in rebellion against uh, God and his son. So there's prayer, and there's Bible study, serious, serious Bible study. Yes, where we really not just pray through a text, but study, yes, the text itself. Maybe looking at the language, looking at the context, um, and then asking the Lord to help us uh, to apply those things uh, in a deeper way. There's also, and I'm going to end with this and continue it next week, yes, there's also the authority of the church. Yes, there's an, there's an authority in the church to teach the Scripture. And when the church is faithful... And when it deserves to be heard by being faithful to Jesus, yes, then the church has an authority to teach the scripture. This we learn from Matthew chapter 18, I believe. And so, you know, somebody comes to me and says, I've been doing a Bible study. And in this Bible study, I've discovered Jesus isn't God. He really may be the son of God, but he's not. And I don't believe in the Trinity. And then I have to ask the person, excuse me, who are you? You one little person in your divine revelation, when for 2,000 years, greater minds, smarter men and women have been prayerfully studying this subject and studying the scripture, and 98% of them have come to a different conclusion. Or, oh, there's nothing wrong with same-sex relationships. Or, gosh, you know, really, I don't see in the Bible any problem with abortion. 
when for 3,000 years, up until very recently, Jews and Christians have understood that abortion is wrong, right? There's authority there. You have to take that voice also uh, to consider it very carefully. And I'm not talking about my church believes in free will and your church doesn't. I don't think those things, those are not the things that are the most important. But who is Jesus? What, how do we hear God's voice? How do we continue, yes, on the way of the cross? Even if it leads to suffering, or even it, le- it leads to our discomfort, or it means that we continue to give and to sacrifice even when we don't see any results from that. Yeah. We hear God's voice. God's voice is the one that nurtures us. And again, we walk by listening, listening obedience. Yes, we walk by listening obedience. Yes, that's what it means in essence, to walk by faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, your children, need to hear your voice. But Lord, we need the grace to be disciplined and Lord, to listen to you in this dangerous and confusing world. We pray that indeed you'll speak to, speak to us, speak to not just one or two, but Lord, we pray that you'll speak to, your, to all those who have an ear to listen who will incline, yes, their ears to hear you. Lord, we ask that uh, we will not be confused, but Lord, uh, that the way, uh, indeed, the way of discipleship, the way of the cross will be clear to us. And Lord, we ask that we'll be reassured that at the end is indeed resurrection and glory and reward as you have promised. And we ask these things in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.